Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of Canadians in Old Time Radio. I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of COTRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance, and I invite you to visit our website at www.cotra.ca and have a listen to some of the program clips, and uh, I'll look at uh, various tidbits of information. I also invite you to gather the children around this time, because we're going to devote this whole episode to children's shows. For example, to begin our Made in Canada segment, we have a recreation of the Small Types Club, which was a program that began on CJBC Toronto in the 1950s and had a national run as well. I say recreation because there are otherwise no recorded episodes of the program and uh, one uh, night in uh, November of, I believe it was 1978, Debbie Holly, who used to fill in for Bing Whit- Whitaker when he wasn't there, along with CBC radio personality Dave Lennick, decided to recreate an episode of this well-loved series. Uncle to be with you on the Small Types Club. Now, Mr. Bing will be around a little bit later on, but before that, I'll just remind you that our teddy bears picnic music introducing another program of stories and music for you small types, and maybe some of the uh, bigger types as well. And we shall hear about Baby Bee meeting the porcupine, and other things as well, all for you here on the Small Types Club. So now let us hear... Mr. Bing with Baby B, and this is very exciting. It's a very prickly situation. Baby B meets the porcupine. Hello there, it's time for another meeting of the Small Types Club. This is Mr. Bing, and I want to tell you a story about Baby B and a porcupine. Porcupines look a little bit like a fat duck, except they have four legs and a head and neck like a turtle, and they have a tail full of little quills with sharp points, and you never want to get close enough to a porcupine to touch one because the quills come out and will stick into anything they touch, and a porcupine quill in your hand or leg hurts very, very much. Porcupines live in many places, and there are a lot of them living in the northern part of Ontario. They live in the woods and are quite fat and can't run very fast, but they climb trees almost as fast as they can run. 
But I must tell you about Baby Bee and the first porcupine she ever saw. Well, one day, just after school finished for the summer, Baby Bee was sitting on the porch waiting for her big brother, Busy Bee, to come home from work. She was singing a little song about the summer holidays. Could you please sing it now, Baby Bee? Yes, Mr. Bing. Okay, we'll listen. School is over for this year. I'm happy singing as you can hear. But I guess I haven't told you all. I'll be happy when it starts this fall. And just as she finished singing, Busy Bee came up on the porch and said, Say, Baby Bee, I'm going to drive up north tomorrow to look at a cottage which we might buy for the summer. Would you like to come? And, of course, Baby Bee wanted to go. So the next morning, she and Busy Bee left the city and drove north. After a while, they came to a small place, which Busy said was named South River, and the cottage was just a few miles away on Eagle Lake. Busy Bee talked to the man who owned the cottage for a long time, and then they had lunch, and Baby Bee was almost starved because it was very late, almost 2 o'clock. After lunch, Busy got a map and a key from the man, some sandwiches and a large bottle of milk and a big flashlight, and away they went. He told Baby Bee that they would sleep at the cottage all night and drive home in the morning. And Busy drove quite slowly over a long, rough road for a long time, and they didn't see another car or any other person. Finally, through the trees, Baby Bee could see a yellow cottage with a bright blue roof. And Busy drove down a narrow lane, and there was the cutest cottage Baby Bee had ever seen. And right in front of it, the bluest lake you could imagine. Busy stopped the car, and they got out. There wasn't a sound, except the birds singing and the water splashing on the sandy beach. Neither one said a word for almost a minute, and then Baby Bee said, Gee, it's quiet. And just as she spoke, the brush cracked at the side of the cottage, and Busy said, Look, Baby Bee. And she turned her head just in time to see a small red deer bounding away into the forest. It was the first one she'd ever seen. Well, let's go inside, said Busy, and he unlocked the door. After they had looked at all the rooms and opened the windows, Busy went out to the boathouse where there was a canoe and a flat-bottomed boat. He pushed the boat out and took Baby Bee for a ride. She wanted to go in the little red canoe, but Busy said, small types should never go in canoes until they can swim a long, long way, and Baby Bee can't swim that well. When they came back from the boat ride, the sun had started to go down. So Busy got some wood from the woodshed, put the chain back on the door, and went in the cottage to build a fire. They took sheets and pillowcases out of the bureau drawers and made two beds. Baby Bee chose the bedroom with yellow and blue curtains. And Busy looked through the kitchen and he found a tin of pork and beans, some tea bags, and a tin of canned meat. So Busy had tea and Baby Bee drank some milk and they each had two sandwiches, some pork and beans, and a slice of the canned meat. Busy found a kerosene lamp and he lit it because it was now quite dark. Well, after they finished their supper, Baby Bee was quite sleepy, so Busy Bee said they should go to bed. And he tucked her in, pulled the big woolen blanket up under her chin, and then went into his bedroom, blew out the light, and said, Good night. Baby Bee could hear him clearly because the walls of the room didn't go up to the ceiling. So Baby Bee lay very quietly, listening. Everything was so quiet, not like the city at all. And then, just as she closed her eyes, she heard... She couldn't move for almost a minute hardly breathe. And then she called, Busy Bee, what's that? And Busy Bee told her that it was a loon, and that the loon was a big bird like a goose, and it lived on fish, and played diving games on the water, and had a lot of fun. So, Baby Bee snuggled down again. And then she heard... Well, this time she was just a little braver, and asked if that were another loon. And Busy explained that that was a wolf, a long way off. But wolves usually wouldn't hurt people unless they were very, very hungry. So Baby Bee turned over in her little bed and in a little while was fast asleep. Sometime later, she awakened hearing a funny rattling. And she remembered the chain on the door of the woodshed. And her first thought was a wolf. And she called Busy. But he was asleep and she called him three times before he answered. And the rattling went right on. But Busy woke up, and Baby Bee said, Listen, Busy. And they both heard the chain rattling. Well, Busy got up, took the big flashlight, and tiptoed to the window, and Baby Bee went with him. And when he turned on the flashlight, there was a fat brown porcupine chewing at the door. Baby Bee saw him, too, and Busy Bee picked up a small stick 
and he went out on the porch, tossed the stick, which hit the porky, and it scampered away. Busy looked at his watch, and you know it was one o'clock, and so they both went back to bed and fell right to sleep. Well, in the morning they went outside, and Busy showed Baby Bee the stick and the quills in it, and you know she couldn't pull them out. And later, as they were driving back to the city, Baby Bee thought of those sharp quills in the stick, and she said, Busy, if I ever see a porcupine again, I won't be afraid, but I won't touch him. That was the story of how Baby Bee met the porcupine. And like most stories, it had a happy ending. And that was Mr. Bing with Baby Bee here on our Small Types Club. I think you should hear a little bit about uh, something which helps us uh, stay on the air. That is a product called Cool Aid. And it's made by the Jello folks, so you know it's got to be good. And uh, we think perhaps that uh, this uh, being the cold part of the year, we should have another product called Warm Aid. Perhaps that can be arranged, and we'll hear about Warm Aid on another edition of the Small Types Club, but I don't know exactly when. It's uh, birthday time now in our Small Types Club, and among those who are having birthdays is little Amy Semple, who is five years old, and she is to look in the waste paper basket for something very useful. And Charlie Finkbinder, he is six. And Charlie, I'll tell you where to look now. Be very careful and listen to me. You look in the cat's box. And there's a nice surprise for you there. And Wilf Laurier is 136 years old today. He's one of our older types. And uh, there's no present for poor Wilf today, but I think uh, people will arrange one in the future. Foster Hewitt has a birthday today. And there's something very nice for Foster hidden in the Maple Leaf Gardens under one of the seats. Now, Foster, you have to look under every seat in the gardens to find this surprise for you. And our friend Voltaire, not Voltaire Vinchel, but uh, this is just Charlie Voltaire. He's 283 uh, years old today. And for him, a surprise under the Louvre, down in the basement, under the winged victory of Samothrace. Follow the stairs, and then follow the arrows, and you will find your gift. And that's about all we have for you today on this edition of the Small Types Club. You heard from uh, Mr. Bing and Baby B, and this is your kindly, lovable, old Uncle the Bee. And whatever you do at this time of day at the end of our program, I know you're all poised and ready, whether it's off to school, out to play, or off to bed for your nap. And, uh... Let's see now. What do we do this time? You've got it. Now get ready. On your marks. Get set. Go. And this is Uncle to be kindly, Uncle to be reminding you it's time to. Scoot! The next show, still in our Made in Canada segment, has to be a show that was one of my absolute favorites when I was growing up. It's called Just Mary, and it came on at 1.15 Sunday afternoons. The host was Mary Grannon, a schoolteacher from Fredericton, New Brunswick, who began her radio career in 1938 with the show Just Mary on CFNB in Fredericton, and within a year it had spread to the entire CBC network, where it stayed for the next 20 years. Now this recording, I have to warn you, is not the best, but it's the only one, and I could not resist sharing it with you. I even had to take out a part where 
the radio that from which it was recorded initially wandered off frequency. But it doesn't take away from the story that Mary is reading. So here is an episode of Just Mary from September 23rd, 1945. Others, too, the CBC presents Just Mary, with her original stories written and told by herself. And now, here is Just Mary to tell you about Oliver Awfulpup. He really is an awful pup when the story begins. When the story ends, things are different. But because stories begin at the beginning and not at the end, I'll have to begin where Oliver was an awful pup. He was brown and shaggy and friendly and twinkly. And when people saw him on the street, they'd say, Oh, what a nice little dog. But anyone who knew him thought differently. That is, everyone but Willie Wilson. Willie Wilson owned him. Willie, said Mrs. Wilson one morning, I'm afraid we'll have to do something about Oliver. You mean because he's got a flea again? Because if you mean that, Mom, I'll catch the flea. I don't mind catching Oliver's flea. I told him not to go visiting the flea families anymore, but he, he's so friendly. He just goes visiting the fleas. Yes, and he goes visiting the browns and the greens and the whites and the blacks. And we got nearly all the colors of the rainbow on our street, haven't we, Mom? The browns, the greens, the blacks, and the whites. We haven't any yellows or purples, though, have we? We got most every other color, though, Mom. Wouldn't it be funny if there was a Mrs. Orange and a Mrs. Pink to go with Mrs. Brown and Mrs. Black and Mrs. Green? Willie, don't tire yourself out trying to change the subject to the colors on our street. We're not talking about colors. We're talking about dogs. And one dog in particular, that awful pup of yours, my son, known as Oliver. What are you going to do about him? I'm going to take the flea out of him. Outside of removing the flea, what are you going to do? Asked Mrs. Wilson. Willie sighed. Mom, I don't know. I I know he's an awful bad little dog. Not really bad, you can't say, because he doesn't mean it, Mom. And I know all the neighbors call him Oliver Awful Pop instead of just Oliver, but... But I love him, Mom. Heck, Mom, if anyone said to me, Willie, who's the three best people in the world? I'd say Mom and Dad and Oliver. That's true, Mom. I believe you, Willie, said Mrs. Wilson. But nevertheless... Unless Oliver mends his ways, we'd have to get rid of him. Oh, Mom! I mean it, Willie. I'm just tired out explaining to people that he's just a little dog and he doesn't mean any harm when he steals their lamb chops off the kitchen table or chews their rubbers on the veranda or tears their tablecloths from the clothesline. You know, Willie, they're right when they call him an awful pup. Yeah, I know, sighed Willie again. He is an awful chewer. I told him not to chew things, but, Mom, he fought that big wolfhound down Elm Street yesterday. Wasn't that brave? Said Willie, hopefully. No, it wasn't brave. It was bad and silly and bold. And we're off the subject again, Willie. I know, Mom. Mom, if Oliver... uh, What's that word when when you're bad and you turn good? Reform. Yeah. If Oliver reforms, if he does that... If he does that, I'll give him one more chance. If he reforms, just then, there was a terrific scream from the other side of the hedge. It's Coralie, said Willie. I know it's Coralie, said his mother, and Oliver. Come with me, Willie, till we see what's the matter now. Willie and his mother went through the hedge. Coralie, her mouth still wide open, was now standing staring. Oliver, the awful pup, was disappearing around the corner of the street with Coralie's best rag doll. What happened, dear? Asked Willie's mother. <laughs> I was playing here with Janie. And then, and that awful puppel Willie's came through the hedge. And he saw me. And he stood there with a wicked look in his eyes. He looked just like a lion. 
Oliver never looked like a lion in his life, said Willie. Willie, said his mother. Go on, Coralie. Well, I was sewing a dress for Janie, a new dress. I was just going to put it on her when Oliver came. He grabbed her right off the grass and he looked just like a tiger. Oliver doesn't look like a tiger either, said Willie. He does too. He does too, sobbed Coralie. He looked like a, a bad tiger. He took Janie and he chewed her right on the apron. And now he's gone away. <laughs> Willie, go get Janie and bring her back to Coralie. Bring Oliver to me, said Mrs. Wilson. Yes, Mom, but... Mom, do you think there's any need for such a fuss over a bunch of rags? Janie's not a bunch of rags, screamed Coralie. She is. She is. She is. Willie, broke in Mrs. Wilson. Go get Janie and Oliver. Yes, Mom. There was a tear in Willie's own eyes. He went around the corner. He greatly feared this was the end for Oliver. He whistled. <laughs> Came from the park down the street. Janie had been chewed in the apron all right, and in the boots, and in the stockings. In fact, Janie couldn't have looked much more chewed. Oliver couldn't have looked much more wicked. He grinned up at Willie. You needn't laugh, Oliver. It's not funny. You're in for it now. Come on. Willie picked up the unhappy-looking Janie and went back home. A half an hour later, Willie and his mother were still talking about Oliver Awful Pup. Oliver had been spanked soundly and put into the living room to stay for the rest of the day. But, Mom, pleaded Willie, don't forget he's got a flea. Maybe if he stays in the living room, his flea will get out and get in the Chesterfield. And then maybe when you're having a bridge party, his flea will get on Mrs. Brown or somebody. And she'll jump up and she'll upset your best china and break it and spoil the rug and everything. I'll risk that. Oliver is going to stay in the house the rest of the day, where nothing else can happen. But Mrs. Wilson was wrong, because things began to happen to Oliver almost right away. The radio in the living room was playing soft music. It faded out. Someone gave the time. Then... your golden girl shampoo today? If so, you have that lovely, relaxed feeling, and your hair is as golden as the rays of the sun. But if you're one of those unhappy people who have never heard of golden girl shampoo, take a golden girl shampoo immediately. It comes in a dainty package or in that handy little golden soap case. Look now. If you have no girl at hand, call your nearest drugstore and have Oliver Offelpop had heard all he needed to hear. He dashed from the living room up the front stairs to the bathroom. Staying in the house might not be as bad as he thought it was going to be. He was going to take a golden girl shampoo and have hair as golden as the sun. He found the golden girl in that handy little golden soap cake. The radio said to take it immediately, and immediately meant now. Oliver Offelpop began to eat the golden girl soap. That's what to take meant to Oliver. He chewed it up with a wry look on his face. It didn't taste good, but he kept chewing. Bubbles began to form, big bubbles little bubbles. He was filled with bubbles, and the bubbles began to go up, and so did Oliver. Anyway, that's the way he felt like. He was swimming, flying, floating, up, 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 up. Voices were screaming at him. Chewed Coralie's dog, didn't you? Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> Oliver is an awful pup. Ace the Brown's washing up. <laughs> so, 
You chewed the rubbers on the front porch, did you? <laughs> rubber chewer, rubber chewer, rubber, 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 rubber. <laughs> Have you had your golden girl shampoo today? If so, you have that lovely, rested feeling. Chew <laughs> Carly's doll, didn't you? Shame, 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 shame. Oliver, awful pop, awful pop, Oliver, Oliver, what's the matter? It was Willie. He had discovered the bubbling little pop. Oliver opened his eyes. Oliver shook And shook Willie laughed. <laughs> Got yourself into some real trouble this time, didn't you? Some real trouble. You're dizzy now, aren't you? Hey, Oliver, whatever made you eat soap? You don't eat soap, Oliver. You should know that. You use soap on the outside. Willie picked Oliver up and held him close. Feeling pretty bad, aren't you? Eh? Well... Well, listen, I won't tell anyone about this, Oliver. I won't tell a soul. You and I will have this for a secret. How's that, eh? How's that? <laughs> Said Oliver. And he nestled up against Willie. And he closed his eyes. He was glad to stay indoors the rest of the day. He lay in his basket and he didn't say a word. He was thinking of all the things the voices had said. He didn't like those voices. He didn't like the things they called. Yes, I must have been an awful pup. I did chew rubber. I did tear tablecloths. He made up his mind there and then in his basket that he'd never hear those voices again. He was going to reform. That's what he was going to do, reform. The next day... Instead of chewing the rubbers on the front porch at Mrs. Brown's, he carried her her newspaper. Instead of stealing the lamb chops at Mrs. Green's, he chased a stray cat out of her flower bed. Instead of running off with Coralie's doll, he played with her and sat and watched her sewing the new dress for Janie. Everybody in the neighborhood noticed the change in Oliver. So they changed his name. He's now called, guess what, Oliver Awful Nice. I told you things would be different at the end of the story, and you see, they are. I couldn't tell you all this at the beginning because stories don't begin at the end. They begin at the beginning and end at the end. And this is the end. Just Mary with her original stories written and told by herself for our very young listeners and others too. Would you like a free illustrated booklet all about Just Mary when she was a little girl and when she was a school teacher? It has colored drawings in it and a story all about her. You can have one for nothing by writing to the station you are listening to or to the CBC Box 500 Toronto. Be sure to write just Mary on your envelope or postcard. Just Mary will be heard again next Sunday at this same time.
Jerry says goodbye. Don't forget that wash dance this week, and until next Sunday, happy playtime. This is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Time now for us to move to our Canadians Abroad segment. And the Canadian we're going to feature this time is writer Joe Schuster. He was born in Toronto on July 10th of 1914. And yes, if you, just in case you were wondering, he is indeed a cousin of the Frank Schuster of Wayne and Schuster fame. He also had a brother named Frank, but it was his cousin that uh, was uh, so prominently featured on Canadian radio and television. So when Joe was nine or ten, he and his parents and siblings moved to Cleveland, Ohio, where he met Jerry Siegel, and in June of 1938, they became the creators of the Superman comic books. Just a little over a year later, Superman, and later on the Adventures of Superman, made its debut on radio and then, of course, went on to television. So I have an episode here for our children from January 23rd of 1950 called Dead Men Tell No Tales. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Adventures of Superman. When the planet Krypton, home of a race of supermen, exploded into dust, the sole survivor was an infant boy who had been shot to Earth in a sealed rocket. Today, that boy, grown to manhood, is known as Superman, sworn enemy of the forces of evil. To aid him in his never-ending fight for truth and justice, he masquerades as Clark Kent, crime reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. His secret is carefully guarded. No one is aware that Kent is Superman. No one but you. Join with us now on ABC as Superman faces the gravest problem of his entire career. The possible exposure of his double identity in an exciting transcribed adventure entitled Dead Men Tell No Tales. The horrible realization that one day someone will discover that Clark Kent mild-mannered, bespectacled crime reporter is, in reality, Superman, has hung over Superman's head like the sword of Damocles. For he realizes that once his dual role is exposed, he will no longer be able to work in secrecy. And now, that day has come. Returning to his apartment late one night, after covering a routine hold-up story at police headquarters... Clark Kent discovered that a secret closet in his bedroom had been broken into, and the spare Superman costume he kept hidden there had been stolen. For a moment, he was dazed. Then the full import of what had happened struck him like a savage blow. Whoever had stolen the costume, unless he was stupid beyond belief, was now aware that Clark Kent was Superman. Almost an hour, Kent paced the floor, unable to think. There were six million people in Metropolis, and the sneak thief might be any one of them. Finally, in desperation, he called in his friend, the private detective, Candy Myers. All right now, Clark, relax, relax. It's not the end of the world, you know. Well, it might be for me. Oh, stop it. No matter what the guy stole, it can't be that bad. Now, let's have it from the beginning. I told you, I got back from headquarters at 11 o'clock. I walked into the bedroom and found the door of the closet open. Okay, what was messing? Well, that, that's not important, Candy. The important what thing is... What do you mean is... it's not important? I got to know what the guy left it, don't I? Well, assume he didn't take anything. Well, then what's all the fuss? He still broke into my apartment. Now, look, pal, the, 
You're not pulling any wool over Candy Myers' eyes. In the first place, it's a secret closet. In the second place, nobody has a secret closet and leaves it empty. In the third place, if the guy knew how to get it open without jimming the door, he must have had a pretty good idea of what was in it. No, no, he, he couldn't have known what was in it. So there was something in it? Well, yes. Well? Well, what? Give, give, what did he hide? Now, Candy, believe me, it, it, it doesn't matter. All I want to do is get the thief. Is that all? Well, you know what I mean. I, I don't know what you mean, but I sure know what you need. You need a swami with a crystal ball, not a detective. Oh, Candy, please. Now, look, pal, you know as well as I do that whatever the guy took, he's going to try and sell or hock. The only way to put the finger on him is to check every fence and hock shop in the city. Well, but it... we can't do that unless we know what we're looking for, can we? But he, he won't try to sell or hock this candy. It, 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 it has no value. Well, then what are you all hot and bothered about? Well, it, it has value to me. In, in fact, it, it's everything. Oh, brother. No, Candy, just do one thing for me, will you? Check the closet door for fingerprints. Have, have you got your dusting kit with you? Yeah, I please, got it. Please, please, Candy. Okay, but you sure like to do things the hard way. Well, it's the only way in this case. I, I wish I could tell you more, Candy. Honestly, I do. Tell me more, brother. You haven't told me anything. Well, just for fun, though, Clark. If the guy didn't know what was in the closet, I mean, if he wasn't happy, how did he get it open? Well, accidentally, I'm sure. It's on an electric spring, and it unlocks when you pull out the top drawer of my desk. Well, you sure went to a lot of trouble to hide something that doesn't have any value. Well, it, wait it... a minute. If what the guy took has no value, why did he take it? I, I don't know. Can't you lying in your teeth? There's no skin off my back. There are prints on the door. I'll get them. After that, pal, you're on your own. <laughs> Yes, this is Kent. Oh, yes, Malloy. Uh-huh. Wait a minute. Let me jot that down, will you? Yeah, that's N-O-O-N-A-N. Right. Yes. Yes. I see. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Malloy. Right. Okay, Candy. Okay, what? That was Malloy at identification. They tabbed the print. Lefty Noonan, 21 arrests and three convictions since 1938. So what? So he can be picked up, can't he? Sure, if the cops can find him. But if you think I'm going to get mixed up in a caper where you bring a guy in and you ask him, did you heist an unmentionable thing out of Clark Kent's secret closet? You're nuts. Oh, now, look, Let me you... go home, Kent. It's half past one. You handle this thing any way you want Candy, to. Candy, I need your help. I, I can't call the police in on this. I want you to find Noonan and bring him to me. Just like that, huh? Well, you can do it if you want to. Sure, but what'll it get you? Look, all I need is five minutes with him alone in a room. Or alone anywhere. But you figure on... Oh, hold it, hold it. Hello? Yes, Malloy? What? Let's have that again. Yes? Uh-huh. At 10.25, eh? I see. No, 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 it, it, it's just a, a routine check. Yeah, I sure will. Right. Candy. Yeah? The cop on this beat caught Noonan sneaking out of the delivery entrance of this building at 10.25 tonight. Well, that does it. You don't need me anymore. Sweet dreams, pal. Oh, Candy, wait. He got away. Huh? He broke loose before the prowl car showed up. The cop chased him, shot at him twice, and swears he hit him. But he got away. Yes, but if he's wounded, he'll be easier to track down, don't you think? Well, who knows? This is a big city with a lot of people in it. If you want me to bring him in, I'll try. Thanks, Candy. Let's be Noonan, huh? That's right. I'll call you. No. No water. The slug went through his back, low down. If it's in his belly, water's bad. I better go call a doctor then, huh? He don't look so good. No sense getting lost up with the sawbones if it don't mean nothing. Gonna let him die? What do you mean, let him? I didn't put the slug in him. I didn't tell him to come crawling up here at one o'clock in the morning and pass out on my couch. He's gonna die on that couch unless you get a doctor up here fast. So what? They're all the same, all these stupid creeps. Where do they come when they're in trouble? To Nick Morelli. Sure, Nick Morelli can fix anything. Nuts to that. I'm all through sticking my neck out for these two... He's coming to me. Sure. They can't even croak quiet. Okay, Lefty. What's water, Nick? His lips are all dry. All right, give it to him. What's the difference? You give it to him, I'll hold his head up. There you are, Lefty. 
There's water. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Okay, boy. Lay him down, baby. Nick, there's blood in his mouth. Yeah. Who plugged you, Lefty? Cop. Doing a heist, eh? Yeah. Where's the paper bag? Don't get up, Lefty. Lay still. And I have the paper bag. What's he talking about? He was carrying a paper bag. It's out in the hall. Get it, Frank. An awful pain inside me. Sure, but it'll pass away. Just don't move around, huh? Oh, I'll be top of one me in the back. That's a bag, miss. This is what you want, Lefty? Yeah. What? What? What's in it? What is it? Some kind of a fancy costume. No. Superman. What? Superman. Superman. I don't get it. Just he means he found this in a secret closet? Yeah, yeah. And whoever is living where he found it is Superman. Yeah. He's crazy. No, no. Must be Superman. Nick, it looks like what Superman wears. Nick. Yeah, Lefty. On a level, Nick. Apartment 5E. 160 Standish Street. Guy must be Superman. This what you heisted from his place? Yeah. Secret closet. Hold on, drawer. Closet. Closet open. Wait, wait millions, Nick. What is? Owen, Superman. Who he is? He ain't kidding, Nick. Let's have the address again, Lefty. Write it down, lady. 160 Standish. But. But. Yes. Five. E. Okay. told us more? You don't believe that stuff about Superman, do you? You can't tell. I can tell. You want to prove it? How? Light a match. What for? You want to prove it, don't you? Go ahead. Light a match. Okay. Yeah. Try to burn this stuff. Burn it? Yeah. Hold the match under it. Close. Don't burn. You sure? Can't you see? Ow. Light another one. Nick, this is no time. Do like I say. Light the match. Put it right up under the cloth. Fast. Right up against it. Mamma mia. What is it, Nick? That creep. It was right. This is Superman's outfit. It don't burn, baby. This is dynamite. How are you going to handle it, Nick? First get me Lonzo on the phone. He's got to come up here with the boys and get this dead creep out of here. Then what? Then? Then, baby, we figured out a way to tie up this Superman character so from now on he works for only one guy. Nick Morelli. <laughs> right, baby. Nick Morelli. Hello. Wake you up? Candy? Yeah. Oh, I was just dozing. Get wide awake, listen. Close and then go back to sleep. What? No part of me again with any wacky capers like this one. Did you find him, Candy? Yeah, I found him. Where is he? I'll come right down. Relax, pal. He's on a slab in the morgue. Dead? No, he couldn't get a hotel room, so they rented him a slab for the night. What do you mean, dead? They reached the morgue, brother. That's all. Oh, okay, Candy. He was found in an empty lot on the south side, about two miles from your place. One of the cop slugs caught him in the back, and that was as far as he could get. Well, that's that. Thanks a million, Candy. Thanks for what? Well, you don't know what this has done for me. In fact, you'll never know. I guess not. Nothing else, Kent? Oh, can't think of anything, Candy. Sure? Well, should there be something? What about that stuff he took from your closet? Don't you want to know whether the cops recovered it? Did they? Hello, Candy. Hello. I'm still here. What are you getting all excited about? Well, did they, Candy? 
How should I know when I don't even know what it is? Did they recover anything? Just what he had in his pocket. Fifty-five cents of steel, Jimmy. And a thirty-two Smith & Wesson revolver. No, no, not his pockets, Candy. Was he... Was he carrying anything? For instance. Well, like a, a, a coat or a suit of clothes. A coat or a suit of clothes, huh? Yes. Ken, I'm coming up and having a talk with you. Stand by. I've said it once, I've said it a dozen times. I can't tell you what Noonan took from that closet. I wish I could, but I can't. Now, that's fine. Okay, pal, okay. There's just one more thing I'd like to say. That is, if you don't mind. Oh, now, skip the sarcasm, Candy. I've known you for five years. Brother, you took the words right out of my mouth. Right out of my mouth. What words? We've known each other for five years. And all that time, I've never seen you so jittery like that. Oh, nonsense. No nonsense. Something's happened that shot you to pieces. You need help, Clark, but you can't get it unless you're willing to cooperate. Andy, if I could... Forget that I'm a private dick, will you? I'm your friend, and I'm trying to... Who's that at 3 o'clock in the morning? I don't know. Hello? Is this apartment 5E at 160 Stanley Street? Yes? Who's this? Is this Mr. Clark Kent? That's right. Who's calling? Who is it, Kent? Hold on. Who's calling? Was something stolen from a closet in your bedroom, Mr. Kent? Sorry, but I can't answer any questions unless I know who's calling. This is a friend, Mr. Candy. Something was stolen from you. I think I can get it back from you. Well, if you're a friend, why won't you tell me your name? Names don't matter. If you want to get back what was stolen, you better come to 45 Carlton Street in a hurry and come alone. Well, I, I, uh, I, I can't get out right now. I, I'm waiting for some phone calls. Why don't you come here? Hold it a minute. All right. Forget. It's a woman. She says she's got what was stolen from the closet. Be careful, I am. Yes? Okay, we'll be down in 20 minutes, but make sure you're alone. I'll be alone. Okay, see you. Well, she'll be here in 20 minutes. Oh, brother, this is right up my alley. No, no, Candy. No what? You'll have to go. I've got to see her alone. You're nuts. I'll hide in the bedroom. No, alone oh. means alone. All right, I give up. I'm through. I'm finished. But remember this. I won't be able to help you when you stretch out on a slab in the morgue like Lefty Noonan. <laughs> We'll be back in a moment for part two and the exciting conclusion of Dead Men Tell No Tales. But first, here is your ABC announcement. It doesn't take much remembering to remember the 42,000 victims in last year's record-breaking polio epidemic. That's right. The number of victims was 42,000, of whom 60% were children under 10 years old. Thousands of those stricken youngsters are still sick, still under treatment, still in need of help. The help you can lend by giving to the March of Dimes. The National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis cares for everyone who needs it, carries out research, stands as the greatest single effective block against this dread disease. It needs your help, needs it more desperately than ever before. This is your responsibility, a responsibility best met by giving your dimes and your dollars. Give in the name of your child. Give so that more children can return to their roles as young, happy citizens. Give and give again to combat polio. Keep those dimes and dollars rolling to your local March of Dimes headquarters. And now, back to the adventures of Superman. And part two of Dead Men Tell No Tales. Unaware that the telephone call he received was from Nick Morelli's girl, and that both the girl and the racketeer are aware of his double identity, Clark Kent waits nervously and impatiently for their arrival. But Candy Myers, suspicious of an attempt at foul play, has not given up as he threatens to do. Although he left Kent's apartment, he is now waiting outside the entrance to the building. It is almost 3.30 in the morning. The street is dark and silent. Suddenly, a car swings around the corner and pulls up in front of the building. Candy Myers steps back into the shadow of the doorway. I don't see any number, Nick. You sure this is 160? There it is. Right over the door. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Oh! Don't never step out of the dark like that again, fella. It ain't healthy. I'm sorry. Uh, I've been waiting for you. Waiting for us? Yeah. I'm Clark Kent. Oh. 
I thought we were supposed to come up to your apartment. That's what you said over the phone. Yeah, I know, but uh, I was afraid somebody might come in, and uh, you said I had to be alone. You got people coming in at 3.30 in the morning? Well, you see, in my business, you just can't tell. You know what he means, Nick. Sure. Okay, you want to go over to my place? That's even better, Nick, then we can show him the proof. Somebody asked you? Well, I was... But in your lips. Okay, Mr. Kent. Let's go. Now, Mr. Kent, make yourself comfortable. Thanks. How about a little drink? Never touch it. Smoke? No, thanks. Real athletic type, huh? <laughs> Stands to reason, don't it? <laughs> you sure look different sitting there. Different than what? <laughs> Who are you trying to kid? Gets me at iron soda, baby, huh? huh? Just because you don't drink don't mean I don't have to. Of course not. Go right ahead. Okay. You must be wondering where I fit into this, huh? Yeah, in a way. Well, there it is. I know the creep that busted into your apartment and copped something out of your closet. Here you are, Nick. Thanks, baby. Matter of fact, I got for the heister off you. You have? Yeah. You want to get it back, don't you? You bet I do. Okay. What is it? Huh? You heard me. What did the creep cop out of your closet? If you got it. You know. That ain't what I asked. If he don't know, Nick, who does? Shut up. Huh? What was it? Uh, it's, um, like a coat or a suit of clothes. What kind of a suit of clothes? Give it a name. What do you mean, give it a name? Get some front window shades down, baby. Don't move, guy. What are you pulling a gun on me for? Oh, find out quick. Okay, Nick. Check the front door. Make sure it's locked. You and me are going to find out something, Kent. Lock me. All right. What's the angle, Nick? The angle is I think maybe this guy's a phony. I don't like the smell of it. What are you talking about? Get up. Come on, get up. Sure, I'll but... make with the talk. All you got to do is listen. One thing Nick Morelli don't like is getting the double cross. He don't like it for nothing. So if Nick Morelli thinks the guy is slipping him the finger, he's right away quick takes care of it, see? No, I I'm say... doing the talking, remember. Go ahead. Thanks. Sometimes maybe it happens Nick Morelli makes a mistake. He gives the business to the wrong guy. The guy who ain't slipping him no fingers. But with you, it don't matter. If you're the guy you're supposed to be, nothing's going to happen. If you ain't, then you're trying to slip Morelli the finger and you got it coming. Catch why? I'm not allowed to talk. Go on, talk. Say what you gotta say. All I gotta say is I don't know why you pulled a gun on me and I don't know what you're shooting your mouth off about. Well, maybe I'm wrong, so we'll find out quick. Find out what? If you're the right guy or the wrong guy. I'm gonna toss a couple of 38 slugs your way. If you're the right guy, okay. If you're the wrong guy, you're a dead pigeon. in a blind trap, unaware that Morelli is trying to determine whether or not he is Superman, Sandy Myers faces the steel black muzzle of a gangster's gun, an almost certain death. Meanwhile, in his apartment, Clark Kent glances at his watch for the tenth time. Five minutes to four. She called a little after three and she said twenty minutes. Almost an hour. I'm not going to wait any longer. 45 Carlton Street. I'll pay her a visit as Superman. Removing his horn-rimmed glasses and stripping off his business suit disguise, Clark Kent emerges in the brilliant red and blue costume of Superman. Raising a window, the only human being on Earth who numbers among his amazing powers the power of flight leaps out into the darkness. Hovering for a timeless moment in midair, he gets his bearings and then, like an arrow shot from a bow, speeds across the city and drops down on the sidewalk in front of the stucco house at 45 Carlton Street. One glance and his X-ray vision shows him the scene inside the house. Great Scott! Tensing every muscle in his powerful body, Superman crashes through one of the blind-drawn windows, and like a human projectile, strikes Candy Myers and knocks him unconscious. Uh, Almost at the instant the gun in Nick Morelli's hand blasts out. Mamma mia! It's Superman! Drop that gun! First, I gotta make sure. 
All right. Now I drop. That's better. Sit down. We talk things over. I've got nothing to talk over with you, unless it's a matter of attempted murder. If I'd been a split second late, that bullet would have killed him. So why did he have to try to slip me the finger telling me he was Kent? That's what he did. Sure, ask her. Yeah, he was waiting downstairs where you live. What do you mean, where I live? 160 Sanders. We know the score. Your name is Clark Kent. You know too much. Could be. What's your name? Nick Morelli. And yours? Never mind her. Yeah. Maybe I do know too much. Only what I know pays off. Does it? I think so. Or it means the only one knows. The stupid creep busted into your joint. He's dead. So from here on in, you do business with me, Nick Morelli. Is that so? Yeah. On account of if you don't, I'm going to do a little talking, and that's going to put you out of the Superman racket, but quick. What if I see to it that you can't do any talking? You know, dead men tell no tales. <gasps> you ain't going to knock us off. That ain't your way. Right now, I wish it were. Relax, Mr. Kent. What would you like for me to call you Superman? You don't have to call me anything. Where's the costume that was stolen from my closet? Sit down. We'll talk it over. I'm not in any mood for talking. Where is it? Yelling ain't gonna get you nowhere. All right, then maybe this will. Oh! Oh, you're breaking my arm. Where's that costume? Stop it! Stop it! Where is it? Stop it! Stop it! Right. One answer to this. I've got to put both of you someplace where it won't matter how much talking you do. What are you gonna act like this for? We can make a deal. I don't make deals. Take the square shooter? The shooter part I'll accept. You've made your bed and now you're gonna sleep in it. Get your coats on. Huh? You heard what I said. Get your coats on. Where are we going? For a little ride to your new home. Now I'm warning you. This mountain top is 4,000 feet high and there's no way down. You're murdering us. We'll freeze up here. I'll be back with everything you need, including a bungalow. You won't freeze or starve. What are you doing this for? I told you I was willing to forget it. I even told you what a costume is. You're telling me it isn't worth much. I'll swear it on a stack of Bibles. That's worth less from you. No, this is how it's got to be. Until I can think of something else, you two are going to live up here. Please, please, give us a break. You're getting a break. Now remember, don't try to escape. I'll be back. <laughs> Leaping into the still-darkened sky, Superman hovers in curious flight above the mountaintop, watching the tiny figures of the gangster and his girl. Then, just as he is about to turn in midair and head for Metropolis, he notices with horror that hand in hand, they are attempting to make their way down a steep slope. What a stupid fool! Arching his powerful body, Superman prepares to swoop down after them, but he is too late. Loose sand and gravel rolls under their feet, and losing their balance, they pitch forward headlong, their bodies striking a ledge and bouncing off like sawdust dummies. Falling to the valley 4,000 feet below. Hello? Hello. This is Candy Moy. Candy, what happened to you? You sound terrible. What happened to me shouldn't happen to a dog. Somebody hit me on the back of the head with a telephone pole. <laughs> what are you laughing about? Uh, not laughing, Candy. I'm just clearing my throat. I'm in trouble. Yeah. Tough mug by the name of Morelli has got whatever was copped in your closet. Oh, don't worry about it, Candy. I got it back. You got it back? Yes. And uh, Morelli and the girl are dead. They fell off a mountain. Oh. That does it. I knew I should have had more brains than to get mixed up in this. They fell off a mountain, huh? That's right. Sure. And I'm Dick Tracy and you're Superman. That's right, Candy. Good night, Kent. Good night, Candy. And so ends Dead Men Tell No Tales on The Adventures of Superman, which have come to you each week at this same time over many of these same ABC stations. With tonight's broadcast, we end the current series of Superman Adventures. Thank you for listening, and we hope to be back with you shortly, bringing you radio's most fabulous character in thrilling stories of action, mystery, and adventure. So be sure to listen when next again you hear that familiar cry... Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted transcribed feature appearing in Superman DC comic magazine. The role of Superman has been played by Bud Collier. Music has been composed and played by John Garth. 
This is Jackson Beck saying goodbye for the present and hoping to say hello again in the very near future. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That'll do it for this time. Thanks to you and to all the children for listening. And I hope to see you again soon. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking. <laughs>